switch gears here and go into uh, the message this morning. Are you ready for a challenge today? <laughs> That's the same reaction I got first hour, just quiet. One person went, yeah, and the rest were going, I don't know. Well, this morning we're going to be challenged tremendously um, by what the Apostle Paul shares with us in Romans chapter 8. If you've been around here this fall at all, we've been going through this series called The Battle Within, looking at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And this morning we're going to continue in Romans chapter 8, and Paul's going to bring us to this climatic understanding of the implications of this sanctification that we've been talking about. Um, even bad things will be used by God to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He brings us to this climatic thought. So this morning we're going to just look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. These verses are like some summit thoughts on, on this whole idea of sanctification. It's like we've been taking a, a journey. We've been going on a hike up the side of a mountain. And every now and then, if I don't know if any of you do that kind of thing, but you get to these places where you can kind of see things and kind of look out. There's like overviews and lookouts and things like that. And, and, and the Apostle Paul has brought us on to several of those thus far in Romans chapter 8, and I want to review those for you in a moment. But before I, we get there, I, I just really feel like I need to pray and just set this aside uh, this time to the glory of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Um, Lord, I, I want to pray that you would help us embrace the concept this morning that you use all things, even bad things, for our good. Because in the midst of trying circumstances and troubling times, it's so easy, Lord, to just uh, doubt you, to doubt your goodness, to doubt your faithfulness. May we instead cling to the hope that you work all things for our good, Lord. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Paul's been taking us on this journey in Romans chapter 8. And it's a journey to the destination of being thoroughly convinced thoroughly convinced that living a sanctified life is possible, that it's not only possible, in fact, it should be probable, it should be an expectation for those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's intention that we live a sanctified life. It's his intention so much so that he's equipped us to accomplish that intention. And that's what Romans 8 is all about. And so imagine you're kind of going on a hike and, and you're, you stop every now and then and you see this view and then you see this view and then you see this view and you get a bigger and bigger picture until you summit the top of the hill or the mountain that you're on and then you see everything. That's kind of the journey that Paul's been taking us on through Romans 8. And so we're not going to understand what I'm going to read to you today unless we get back and review some of the hike that's taken us to this elevation uh, this morning. So I'm going to do a super quick review with you. God, who is able to raise Jesus from the dead, has given you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live in, in the new way of the Spirit. So as we begin this journey of sanctification, of understanding that our lives can be wholly set apart to the glory of Jesus Christ, the first kind of view uh, uh, that this is a possibility that God gives us is that he's given us the person of the Holy Spirit to em empower us to actually live it. Next, Paul told us, and this is review point number two, in Jesus you've received the spirit of sonship. This is the next overlook. This status as a child of God should change how you live. Now, I, I, I've shared this before, and I need to share it again this morning. Um, when Paul alludes to the spirit of sonship in Romans 8, he means that we've been adopted into the family of God. But most likely, 
He's referring to a common Roman practice. I haven't talked about this before. That took place uh, during the time of the writing uh, of, of this book of Romans. It's quite different from what maybe we would view adoption as now. When a wealthy man had no children and in that culture, and he didn't want his estate to be broken up upon his death, what he would do is he would take and find a grown-up man, usually one of his servants whom he trusted, and he would adopt that servant, that grown-up man, as his son so that he could pass his inheritance on to this person and his estate would not be broken up. And once that grown-up servant, that grown-up man was adopted, his life changed radically. Amen? He went from this, you know, formality with the master to being intimate with the master. He went from a conditional, you know, kind of relationship to an unconditional uh, relationship. All debts that he owed were taken care of and wiped out, and he suddenly became rich. Do you think he began to live differently? What do you think? Boy, you guys are quiet today. It's just like a little, yeah, they lived dif- he lived differently. L- listen, when we come to Christ, we're that servant that, that everything changes entirely for us. We become ones who are adopted into God's family. We take on his name. We have the power of the person of the Holy Spirit in us. And it should change entirely how we live. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian Perry. I'll give you a reward after service. <laughs> so as we continue on in Romans 8... Paul takes us to this final leg, this final kind of, you know, climb that we have to understand if we're going to really experience a sanctified life that God intends us to live out. We're going to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming when we're going to be glorified, simply meaning we're going to get these new uh, perfect bodies. Our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Our perishable bodies will become imperishable. Creation will be restored, and everything will be made right again. And this brings us to point number three, the hope of the glory that is to be revealed in you as co-heir with Jesus should motivate you to live a sanctified life, a set-apart life wholly devoted to Jesus because nothing compares with what lies ahead. So now we're kind of to the intended destination uh, uh, that the Apostle Paul wants us to get to. We've kind of taken this climb and, and, and we, got, we understand uh, what sanctification is about and that, that God has equipped us to actually live it out. And now we get to this kind of climatic conclusions, this, this kind of overall view. What does this really mean in our lives and, and how does it affect our lives in kind of a, an amazing way? So I'm going to read for you now Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30. Listen to the scripture. And we know Amen. We know that in all things, not some things, not just the good things, not just the things we, we like, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe what I just read? Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Amen. 
Do you believe that all things in your life will work for the good if you love Jesus and are called according to his purposes? Now, let me ask this question a little differently. If you believe the Lord works all for good in your life, do you easily get derailed when things don't work out? Do you find yourself too easily controlled by circumstances instead of who Christ is? I, I love how the Lord Jesus prays for us believers in, in, in John chapter 17. He prays for believers. And one of the first things he prays for is that we have the full measure of his joy. And then he goes on and prays, Lord, sanctify them in my truth. Sanctify them in my truth that we would truly be sanctified. So of all the things that Jesus could pray for when he prays for you and me, he says, Lord, let them experience my joy and sanctify them in your truth. pretty important, isn't it, if that's what he's going to pray for, that we really experience this? And I don't think we're going to experience this joy unless we really understand how bad things in our life are to be used by God. So as a follower of Jesus, I think we're called to understand our life is a journey of sanctification. Amen? We're going up this mountainside. We're seeing what it's all about. And, and we, we, we get this understanding at the base camp, so to speak, of, of the Holy Spirit. He empowers everything. And we go up a little level higher, and we see, oh, yeah, I'm adopted in the family of God. But it's like that Greek adoption, you know what I mean, that we are we're adopted into the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And then we go up a little farther, and, and again, we see the view starting to get bigger and bigger. And God is revealing to us that there's a day coming when you're going to experience the glory of, of Christ, and you're going to have this glorified body. And then we get to the summit, and, we, and we, we're told this. All things, even the bad things, work for your good. I don't know if I expected that of you up here. It's a little bit not what I expected, but boy, is it powerful when we understand it. Here's point one, if you're a note-taker. God redeems bad things for good for the follower of Jesus. God redeems bad things for good for the follower of Jesus. Now, here are some of the implications of that statement. One is this. Bad things happen even to Christians Previous to this conclusion here in Romans chapter 8, in verses 28 through 30, Paul has told us that we're going to share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. That all creation and we ourselves right now, we're like in the midst of childbirth pains. We're travailing and waiting eagerly. We're, le- we're leaning into this waiting. We're waiting eagerly for all things to be fulfilled as God has claimed. But as we wait, we're in The pains of birth, it's difficult, it's hard, and it's a struggle, and there's weakness that we're experiencing, and we have to count on the person of the Holy Spirit to intercede for us at times because we don't know how how to pray. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13 says it so well. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I love what Timothy Keller said uh, concerning Romans Chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. He did a, a message on it. Timothy uh, Keller is a, a pastor from New York City, and he authored books like The Supremacy of Christ in a Postmodern World. I don't know. This, from that title, sounds good, doesn't it? But he said this about Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. 
we wouldn't be shocked or surprised. He said, we shouldn't be shocked or surprised when bad things happen. One of the main reasons a lot of Christians are overthrown is not simply because bad things happen to them. At least half of their discouragement and despondency is due to their surprise at the bad things that happen to them. We say, this isn't how it's supposed to be. We may say, life should be better. But that's not what the promise is. And he's starting to tickle what I want to talk with you about this morning. That's not the promise of Romans 8.28, that our lives are just going to be full of good things and somehow the good things are going to outweigh the bad things. That's not what Romans 8.28 is saying. God is saying that in all the things that you experience, in all the things that you experience, good, bad, seemingly unnecessary, all these things I'm going to use to work for your good, to work for your good. And here's what we have to understand about this scripture, this summit scripture of Romans chapter 8. You must come to a deep conviction that God uses the ingredients of your life, even the bad ones, to conform you to Jesus. He uses all the ingredients. You have to come to a conviction of, of this sort. The point here is that God is working in all things. He's working in all things. This promise is not about having some kind of a positive attitude. You know, I've been around some of these people. They're going through something really rough and really tough, and they're having this oozy positive attitude, and I'm just going to, ah. That's not what this is saying, is that you just have a positive attitude and pretend like, oh, this isn't all that bad. No, it's not a positive attitude. What this is talking about is that we come to this deep conviction, this unwavering conviction that there is indeed a God in heaven and that he knows a whole bunch more than I know about my life and he's using all the various ingredients of my life to mold me and shape me and conform me into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And I'm convinced of that. It is a conviction in my heart so that when bad things come my way, I am not surprised and not derailed by them. Amen? Because I can guarantee you something, brothers and sisters, you're going to experience some bad things. Amen? And the purpose is always to become Christ-like in those things. Any of you like to bake? I need to lighten the moment up. Any of you like to bake? That's an easy question, right? I, uh, I don't cook much, but I bake a teeny little bit. So I cook like this much and bake like that much. So most of us, when we're going to bake a cake, what will we do? We would grab the cake mix. And I had one of these in the, well, actually, my wife had one of these in the, the cupboard. It's a dark chocolate fudge, deliciously moist cake mix. We'd grab something like this, and I, I would look for the deliciously moist part of it and the cake mix that, and chocolate's always great, isn't it? You can drink this stuff right out of the box. It's good stuff. You know, you don't even have to bake it. Amen, right? Come on. Somebody else, other people do this beside me, right? You taste stuff like, don't you? Anyway, this is how cake's normally made. But you know what? If you make a cake from scratch, it's a different kind of an experience. Because you put all these ingredients in there, and you're going, hmm, I don't know if these ingredients are all that good. First, it starts with some eggs. Well, and that has eggs in it too, but so you take a couple eggs, and unless you're Rocky in one of the Rocky movies, normally we don't drink raw eggs, amen? Do you drink a raw egg? Anybody ever do that? I don't care how hard I work out. I'm not drinking a raw egg. By the way, this is a boiled egg, so if I drop it, it does not break. But so that, that in itself, you go, well, you know, I could see an egg. It adds some whatever it adds. Anyway, 
So then you have flour. You always have flour at a cake mix. And I got some white flour here. And um, whenever I bake anymore, I grind my own wheat and then use that because I want to have the goodness of whole grain, wheaty, whatever. But this is white flour. So how many of you would sit down and say for an afternoon snack, I'm just going to have like a nice good glass of milk and some white flour and just yum. Would you do that? It's called paste. Right? That's what you used to do when you do paper mache. You put white flour together with water and you paper mache with it. It's paste. It glues things together. Amen? So it's not all that good just eating flour. It doesn't go down well. Then there's a, some, some interesting ingredients that go into a cake. I, by the way, we looked this up. At, I should say my, my, my lovely wife looked it up so that I'd be sort of accurate. Um, you put baking powder in, in a cake mix. If you're making a basic white cake mix, you put some baking powder in it. Have you ever tasted baking powder? It's nasty. <laughs> I can't help but taste stuff like this every now and then. So I'm putting it in bread. I said, what does that taste like? Ooh, that was not a good experience. All this does, I think, is add some ability for it to, you know, rise and expand and be textures that's kind of nice and cakey, right? But you would never eat it. And if you didn't know what its purpose was, you'd say, why am I throwing that in there? That's nasty. It's nasty, nasty, nasty. Then there's some goodness that we all like. Unfortunately, it's in way too many foods and way too large of a quantity. It's called sugar. Woo! And you put a cup of sugar in a cake mix or whatever. It has a, uh, uh, when you start measuring out the sugar yourself, you go, woo, that's a lot of sugar. You don't realize how much sugar goes into some of this food. And at any rate, how many of you would sit down and say, well, I really love sugar so much. I love it so much. I think I'll just have a cup of it today. Anybody do that? Good for you. I was just curious on that one. I don't know. Anyway, so you take all these ingredients, right? And some of them you could say, well, I could kind of see that usefulness. Of that. I don't understand that. That one's nasty. I don't even know if this one's necessary. But if you leave some of these out and you try to make a cake or you try to make a, a loaf of bread, guess what happens? It does not turn out. It does not taste right. It doesn't do what you're, it's supposed to do. All these ingredients are necessary. The good, the seemingly bad, the seemingly unnecessary, they all add up to make something, uh, you know, the sum is greater than the parts, right? The whole is greater than the parts. That's our lives in Jesus. That's what Romans 8.28 is saying. God has taken all these ingredients in your life, and some of them, you don't, you know, they're not like they're that bad, but you go, I don't know about that. I don't even know what the usefulness of that is. Some of them are like baking powder. You know, it's probably good, but you don't know why it's good, and it actually is a little bit nasty tasting to you. And some are sweet, but too much of it can kind of cause you to get a little bit like this is over the top. Like you can only recreate so much, and you get tired of recreating, amen? And some of you go, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, you might. You might. It can, you can have too much fun. <laughs> and, and God takes all these ingredients, and, and this is what we're being told. This is what we're being promised in Romans 8.28. He's taking all these various ingredients of our life, and he's mixing them together, and all comes more of an image of the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. Amen? And the things that we may not think are necessary, the things we don't want to go through, those become key ingredients too to the look of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ in our lives because God uses all things and we have to be convic- uh, convinced and convictional on that concept. Now, this brings us to this idea that he uses all these things for good. And so what does good mean, right? Do you wonder what good means? Well, good means conformance to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what good means. 
If you've been a Christian for a while, there's a good chance that you know Romans 8.28. Anybody know Romans 8.28 in here? It's one of those popular kind of quote-me verses that people have on plaques and walls, and they do all kinds of stuff with it. And it's what I like to fiction call one of the rip-out-of-the-Bible verses and use it entirely out of context to make us feel better. Because usually what we say when we use Romans 8.28 is this. You're going through some bad things over here, and they're terrible, but you know what? God's going to give you some good things over here, and they're way better than the bad things you're going through over here, and the good over here is going to outweigh the bad over here. And that, my friends, is an entirely misuse of that verse. It's not what it's saying at all. This isn't about a divine ledger system that you go through some bad things and God says, well, I'm going to you know, give you some good things to counteract that. No. What the verse says is this. The bad, the seemingly unnecessary, the ugly, and the good things you're going through are all ingredients in the, in the, in the, in the making of who you are and who you are becoming in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all being used to conform you to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and now that's prefaced on for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is the essence of what's being promised in Romans 8.28. Not that if you suffer some bad things, God's going to give you some good things to counteract it. No, he's saying these things over here, they're all going to be used to make you look like the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy Keller said this too, and it's worth noting here. Jesus did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you would become like him. The gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It just promises you a better life. I want to just talk a little bit on this idea of good and, and all that and its meaning. I want to go a little further into the Scripture um, because some of the Scripture is confusing to people, especially at a casual reading. In verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. But what did he predestine them to? To be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So what the Scripture is telling you and I is God knows you knows what's going to happen in your life. He's going to use all those ingredients because he has this predestinated plan, and that predestinated plan is to make you look like Jesus. That's the predestination part. It's talking about this idea that God has for all of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has this idea that we come out on the other side of life looking like Jesus Christ. So predestined means here God has a deliberate and wise plan to conform those who give their life to Jesus into the likeness of Jesus. That's what that word predestined is all about. It's God's plan. It's been God's plan all along that his followers become like Christ that they look like Jesus Christ. He even uses the bad in that endeavor. Now, in this particular use of the term predestined, it's referring to this idea of the plan that God wants to conform us to Christ's likeness. That's always been his plan, always will be his plan. Some people look at this and they get all kind of confused. They see the word predestined and they start talking about, does man have a choice or does he not have a choice? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about this idea that it's been God's plan all along to get you on this course, this this. A journey is an adventure of looking like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's going to use all things in your life to that end. Amen? That's what that's talking about there. And I don't know if that clarifies it for anybody at all here, but I thought I would talk on it anyway. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter how bad things seem, 
If you love Jesus and you're called according to his purposes, these ingredients are meant to mold you and shape you into Christ-likeness. I don't know how you are, but sometimes I look at my life and I'm just confused and I can't put all the puzzle pieces together, but I trust there's a God who knows, who has me in the palm of his hand, and I choose to trust and cling to him in the middle of whatever I'm going through. At times it's hard. At times I need help. Sometimes I need other people to tell me to do that. How about you? Sometimes in the middle of my pain or whatever I'm going through, I, I, I get insecure. I get doubtful. How about you? But then someone comes around me, and usually they'll give me a word, or, or, or I'll begin to pray, and I'll work through it. And pretty soon I'm saying, okay, God, I'm counting on you to use this somehow to conform me to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what good is about. That's what good is, is, is talking about in the context of the scripture. Now, the, the word conformed is a great word. It comes from the Greek word symorphous, symorphous. And it means a no, nearer, closer connection into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're being conformed into the image of Christ, it's meaning literally a nearer, closer connection uh, uh, to the look of Jesus. We use similar terms sometimes. And, and oftentimes you'll hear a word that's similar to somorphous that's used. And you may understand this word more. It's metamorphosis. Okay. That, that's uh, the, the caterpillar going to a cocoon, going to a monarch. How many of you beside me have broken a cocoon apart? Anybody? You can admit it. God loves you still. I know that butterfly paid for it with its life. But when I was a little boy, I always thought, what's inside that cocoon? You know, if you grab a cocoon when it's in the early stages and rip it apart, you know what's inside it? Goo. That's my term for I don't know what it is. It's just goo. There's nothing. The, the, the caterpillar completely breaks down and completely changes form and becomes this, you know, butterfly monarch, whatever it is and whatever it's supposed to be, okay? And that's metamorphosis, and we kind of know that term. But, but, but get this. Symorphous is just saying to us, you know, it's just saying this kind of process more clearly defined because the outcome is that you're looking like the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Symorphous means you're going through this change in your life and you're becoming in the outcome to look an awful lot like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what this word conform means here in this context of the scripture that we read this morning. God is moving you towards the look of Jesus in your life through the good, the bad, and the seemingly unnecessary things that are happening in your life, all is taking place so that you are transformed into Christ-likeness. So if you love God and you're called according to his purposes, then everything in this life will be used to, 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 to sculpt you, to polish you, and to shape you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I think today's message is a little challenging. In fact, I'd say greatly challenging because it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of looking at our lives entirely. And it's hard. I'm going to admit to you, it's hard to be over here when you're in the midst of some things you don't understand, maybe some troubles that you're going through, and to think, okay, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You kind of created me more dependency? You know what? It means you're going to go to work tomorrow, and there's going to be a abrasive person at work. You all have one of those probably. We don't have any of that staff, though, because our staff's perfect. Anyway, um, and you're going to look at that person as a tool in God's hands to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's a different way of looking at that person, isn't it? 
It means if you lose a job, you don't get comfort from Romans 8.28 by misquoting it and saying, well, you know, this bad thing happened to you. That just means God has a better job for you over here, and that's ledger thinking. I lost my job over here, so now God has a better job for me over here. How many times do we do that, and we use something like Romans 8.28 to justify saying that? But that's not what Romans 8.28 says. Romans 8.28 says, God will use this loss of this job if you are called according to his purpose and you love him. He will use the loss of this job to conform you to Christ-likeness if you rightly receive it. You may never have a better job. You may never experience that in your life. That's not the promise of Romans 8.28. The promise of Romans 8.28 is that you, uh, God will use this to make you look more like Jesus if you're in tune with the person of the Holy Spirit and allow that to happen in your life. So then we get to the end of the scripture I read to you today and there's a succinct kind of divine layout of, of, of the process that we're going through. Um, and those God, you know, predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified. By the way, when you hear that word justify, it means just as though they never sinned. So those that come to Christ and receive him, it's just as though they never sinned, it's justified. And those, he said, will be glorified. Um, and we've talked about what it means to be glorified. Uh, previously here in this series, it means that at some point you'll have this perfect existence. Your body will be made new. The earth will be made new. But you know what's interesting? All that promise that Paul says is in the past tense. In God's sight, it's already happened. Are you getting that? It's already happened. And God is saying to us, you're going to be glorified. It's already happened in my sight. Everything in your life, if you love me and I call according to my purposes, are going to take you to that end. Everything is going to take you to that end. And you're going to experience a complete morphing into what you're meant to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with this thought this morning. You must understand how God works. He uses all things for good. Good meaning conformity to Christ. And conformity to Christ is what our sanctification is really all about. Sanctification boiled down to simple terms simply means I look a lot like Jesus in everything I do. Amen? So I want to end with a couple of reflection questions. What bad things are you facing right now in your life? That instead of trying to escape, instead of trying to get on to what we would see as the good things, what bad things are happening to you right now that maybe God is saying, hey, slow down, learn to depend on me here in this circumstance so that I can do a work in you of transformation. Let me ask a second question. Do you think you can become the person God intends without some adversity in your life? Uh Uh-uh. I would submit to you, you cannot. And lastly, how have some bad things already been used in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus. Sometimes it's good to remember some things you've gone through, so when you go through some new things, what happens? Your faith is resting on God to continue to do good work that he's beginning to you and to bring it to completion, to maturity. So I want to leave you with those reflection questions this morning, and I want to close out in prayer. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for these words of Paul in Romans 8, 28 through 30. They're challenging, insightful words to us, Lord. And I want to pray that we receive them, uh, not water them down, not try to change what they say, but receive them as they are written and as they are given to us, Lord. And God, we declare today that you work for our good, for our conformity to Christ's likeness in all things. If we love you 
and are called according to your purposes, Lord, that you work in all things, Jesus. The good, the bad, the ugly, the seemingly unnecessary, the things that puzzle us. All these things become ingredients, Lord, like in a cake mix, to produce an end product that is greater than the sums of the parts, Lord. It's greater than the sums of the part. And then that, that God is what you're doing in our lives. And so help us, Lord, to journey in you, to lean into this sanctified life that you called us to live out, to count on you to do things in us we can't do ourselves. And Lord, when we don't understand what's going on, help us just to trust in you and stand fast in you no matter what. God, would you bless the people of Grace Point? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit today? Would you grace the families that dedicated their children to the Lord this morning? Would you just do special works in each one of those families, Lord, and, and um, that these children that we've given you today, Lord, would just become mighty followers in you, Lord, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we love you and praise you. And all God's people said,